0: Welcome to Discovering Nutrition with Chronometer. I am your host and community marketing manager Elisa and today we are so happy to have on special guest Rob Wolf. Rob is a former research biochemist and a two-times New York Times Wall Street Journal best-selling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. He has transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world via his top-ranked iTunes podcasts, books, and seminars. He co-founded the first and fourth CrossFit affiliate gyms in the world, the Healthy Rebellion community platform, and is co-founder of Drink Element Electrolytes. As always, this podcast is for general purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including getting medical advice. The use of information from this podcast is at the user's own risk and is not to be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, without further ado, let's bring on Rob.
1: Hey, good morning.
0: Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm great, I'm great. My name is Elisa, thanks so much for being here with us. I'm the community manager at Chronometer and you've been on our radar forever. So this oh, is really exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, our our CEO mentioned you like probably over five years ago to me,
1: so. <laughs> oh, funny, okay, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I recommend you folks all the time, so. Thank yeah. you,
0: thank you. Um, are you good with diving right in?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome, so this month, At Chronometer, we are discussing hydration, and I think it's really interesting because most people would assume that hydration would just basically be consuming water or liquids, when in actual fact, there's a lot more to it than that. So we're talking about electrolytes is we specialize in tracking micronutrients. And I Mm -hmm. know a lot of our staff are a big fan of Elements. So we've been drinking that in our office forever, which is your electrolyte supplementation company. Can you talk to uh, that point about just electrolyte consumption and hydration?
1: yeah and uh, just as a, a little quick I guess stroll down history we uh, the formation of our company the fact our company exists is due in part because you folks exist uh, so mm-hmm. I've eaten a pretty low carb, diet for 23 years. And that's mainly for gut and autoimmune issues. You know, I, I I feel good eating that way, but it's kind of to manage health issues more than anything else. But I always had this lack of a low gear, you know, doing Brazilian jujitsu and and stuff like that. And in working with the the Keto Gains founders, I they did something really crazy. They're like, hey, why don't you document all of your food? Because they they said they looked at what I was eating. I just kind of had like a back of the envelope kind of thing. And they're like, that looks pretty good. But we think you're probably deficient in sodium. And I said, oh, no, no, I salt my food. I'm good. And they're like, you know, I roll. Okay. And then they did something crazy. They're like, why don't you really document it in like chronometer or something like that? And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. And so I did it. And they wanted me to be at like a minimum of five grams of sodium per day. And I was at less than two grams of sodium per day, which was probably why I felt like absolute garbage. And right. so it's that that ability to really get granular with mm-hmm. regards to, well where are you really? Like you can guess about it, but it when you start documenting things and you have a really phenomenal resource like that then you know, so so we wouldn't exist uh, were it not for you guys being here. So that is a, that's
0: amazing. I'm going to tell yeah. Aaron that That's our CEO, and he will probably be just tickled pink because cool. I think, like like you said, you can't track what you don't measure. Yeah, and people can always make best guesses, but I've logged myself for over four years now, and there's things like I was woefully low in magnesium. Mm-hmm. I would have never known that i'm making right. assumptions about that i'm eating foods that are going to have it and then they didn't and i'm like whoa so same thing it's very it's very eye opening but that is getting into the details right like most yeah. people are tracking for weight loss or to manage their macros and then hopefully they evolve to uh tracking micros as well cuz that's yeah. that's obviously where you've seen the difference like mm-hmm. if you were if you were having performance issues and same goes for me so
1: yeah That's and you amazing. know circling back around to your your original question the it, it's funny on this hydration topic typically that when people hear the term hydration it's just water and maybe mm-hmm. you'll you'll think about like electrolytes or like a Gatorade or a Powerade or, or or something like that but usually it's just you know, water. And what's interesting, if you grab a textbook of like medical physiology, like a Guyton's textbook of medical physiology, and you look up hydration, hydration is water and the associated electrolytes. And they're, they're inseparable because when we look at the most tightly regulated physiological processes in the body, pH and electrolytes are, are arguably the most tightly regulated. And blood sugar is tight, tightly regulated, but It can go up or down by orders of magnitude and we can still live. We can still function. We may not feel as good, but if pH is off by a little bit, if electrolytes are off by a little bit, we die, you know? And so it is this really wickedly tightly, uh, controlled, uh, piece of our physiology. And if it's not on point, you can feel, you know, there's this whole, once you hit the point of cramping, you've been in suboptimal, (laughs) electrolyte status for so long, like your fine motor skills are, have been decreased. Your cognitive functioning has been decreased. Your ability to just recruit uh, muscles and, and do it in a coordinated fashion has been decreased by the time we, we hit that cramping stage. So the hydration story is so incredibly important. It really should be It should be kind of like the fourth macronutrient or maybe the fifth because people are saying ketones are like the fourth macronutrient. So maybe it's the, the fifth one, but it really should be right up in there because, you know, when we consume protein, carbs, fat and that material gets metabolized to produce energy. It is sodium potassium pumps that drive the bioenergetics of our bodies. And so the food we eat doesn't matter if we don't mm-hmm. have the, the electrolyte substrate to be able to play the role in, in energy production. So it, it uh, I don't know if I did a great job of answering your, your original question, but I mean, it is a, a, uh, a shockingly important piece of the story. And clearly that's a, a self-serving position for somebody who's who's hawking electrolytes but you know we um we were founded also originally as a homebrew thing we Mm -hmm. told people how take this much sodium chloride this much potassium chloride from like no salt uh grab some some magnesium citrate mix it all together lemon juice stevia shake it up and go and we posted a downloadable guide to that and six months later we had a half million downloads of it you know and, and so it, it was clearly this huge need that was going unmet, which I mm-hmm. couldn't believe. I, I, you know, when you look out at the world and there's all these different options, but uh, we we really looked into all this with kind of a, a fresh set of eyes and much more aggressive in, in tackling sodium supplementation in particular to make sure that people were really topped off on that part of the story than adequate body water so that you're getting just an appropriate volume of liquid and oh by the way we also have these other electrolytes you know potassium and magnesium and chloride and bicarbonate and all that stuff and and being able to effectively address that and again circling back to what you folks do we really try to get folks to to get 90, 95% of their electrolyte needs from whole minimally processed foods. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about being able to track and document that is that you really do get a sense, you know, with some error bounds because there's some variability in food and, and measuring and all that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. But you're at least in the in the ballpark of like, mm-hmm. okay, so I want to get six hundred milligrams of magnesium a day. I'm currently I'm eating a what I think is a minimally processed whole food diet, and I'm getting 150 milligrams of magnesium a day. So do I modify my foods? Do I do some supplementation? And and most importantly, like when I get my magnesium up to the level that I really feel like I should be at, my how I look, how I feel, how I perform improves. And so yep. we've got that as a as an important piece. Yeah.
0: I think it's so interesting because I'm kind of bottom of the barrel for in terms of knowledge about performance. So I've always just kind of slugged through it. I am a runner. I don't like do ultras yet, although I'd love to dabble, but I know that you have a lot of background with like the CrossFit community and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And so last year I was gearing up to run my first marathon and it was super hot here. I'm in British Columbia and it was like 35 degrees Celsius, which I think is encroaching to like 100 I think
1: yep 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 okay yep. And I always uh, the one one way that I always remember this is 98.6 in Fahrenheit is 37 degrees Celsius okay
0: okay so then that way
1: you're you're just within <laughs> they have, a, have, have yeah. a baseline yeah
0: so I was watching a Nick Bear uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Nick Bear I love his stuff and he mentioned something about salt tabs and I was like Okay, that's interesting. Like, what is that about? So I research and people are like, you should be crushing salt on a marathon. And then there was all these other variables, like if it's over this temperature, you should need to be having more to prevent cramping and stuff. And I was just so used to like going out there and just doing the thing and kind of like mm-hmm. suffering. And then I was like, I actually don't need to do this. So I set up, because I was just doing a marathon just for fun. So I was setting up like little stations of water and then I had salt and that kind of thing. And so I had no idea that it could help performance. Obviously, you've known that forever.
1: Not forever. I had 23 <laughs> years of uh, out of the... So I've been eating a low-carb diet for 23 years and 19 of those years, I was largely... I knew electrolytes were important but I I mm-hmm. I when I look back at both my challenges with performance both cognitively and physically you know like sitting down and trying to like write books and 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 do things like that and then also the thousands of people I've worked with like if this knowledge had been front mm-hmm. and center for me in 2001. Like I, I I could have been somebody when I grew up, you know? <laughs> I think that you really, are already. <laughs> I could have really been somebody when I grew up. Like it, it, it's so odd. It, it, and this maybe drives things a, a little out in the weeds, but sodium is so interesting because it really is tied into blood pressure and we have to have mm-hmm. some, some dishes application there. But The primary driver of elevated blood pressure hypertension is it it really seems to be insulin resistance. And then we retain excess sodium and then that drives blood pressure. The flip side of that is that people with high blood pressure who go on low sodium diets, it really doesn't lower their blood pressure much. Like it'll bring it down a little bit, but it doesn't fix the problem. The problem is the insulin resistance. But Sodium broadly was given this kind of negative health profile because mm-hmm. of its association with with hypertension. So then we just ignored it. We're just like, Absolutely. we'll just drink water, you know. And 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 it was around the time that we really started seeing more hypertension that that the metabolic syndrome was kind of characterized. That there was also this kind of mythology around we should drink eight eight ounce glasses of water a day, and yes. that combo has literally killed people, like people doing ultras and, and and marathon triathlon and whatnot. every virtually every event that you you have something like that, a long endurance event, football double days, military boot camps, mainly young people end up getting very sick and occasionally dying because they overhydrate, which ends mm-hmm. up depleting or or not depleting, but diluting. The sodium that they have in their body and we need that sodium potassium ratio to make all of our cellular machinery work and so we we had this kind of weird deal where we really demonized sodium where we told folks with literally no scientific basis you know drink eight eight ounce glasses of water a day as a minimum and often, you know, and then people being people, they're like, "Well, I'll do even more than that." You know, if a little is good <laughs> more is better, and it, it makes people really sick, and it is really negatively impacted their their performance. And when I look back at the folks that I've served over the years, if I had had a better understanding of of sodium, it would have been a huge deal. And I, I have to do a, a shout out to Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit. I remember having a conversation with him two thousand seven. I want to say, and, and he said, you know, I've just noticed that if people really kind of high motor and they're eating well, they're eating minimally processed foods. The main place that people get sodium out of their diet is from processed foods. When you eat better, whether it's paleo or vegan or Mediterranean, almost all the sodium disappears out of your diet. You have to then start really actively adding sodium to the diet. And he, he just made this kind of offhand comment. He said, you know, I've just noticed that people do really well if they get about five grams of sodium per day. It went in and it kind of bounced (laughs) around in there, but I didn't really stitch it all together, you know, but Mm -hmm. he, he was a, a solid student of human performance. and, And he had just observed that when people clean up their diet. And he was kind of an advocate of like a paleo zone type, type of approach, which ends up cleaning up the the composition of the food really dramatically that you've got to add some sodium into the mix and, and really a lot more than what most people would, would appreciate. And that's kind of a beginning spot. Like we see folks that will need double or triple that. Like Mm -hmm. I've worked with small females that, that they, they're operating at 12 grams of sodium per day and, and just crushing like cross, you know, CrossFit games athletes and stuff like that. Jiu Jitsu competitors. It's really interesting. There is a fair amount of individual variation on that. And that's where you have to get in and, and tinker, you know, to see what works for you and document so that you actually know where you're at, because, it, you know, it's like, well, maybe you've got six grams today and two grams tomorrow and you you really can't make sense of it unless you've got mm-hmm. that bit that benchmark of, of documentation yeah
0: yeah i think it's interesting that you were talking about the demonization sodium because we really have done that you know like i even for me working for chronometer for years i was like i'm supposed to have just raw salt when i'm right. running you know like <laughs> <laughs> it I had, sounds like, crazy. My, my, it does. I had my pink and salt like in a shaker and was literally just having that because it was, you know, came together really quickly. In hindsight, it would have been great to have something else. But I'm just like, this is so weird because we've been told, like, you know, I would go up for sushi and people would be like, don't have soy sauce, too much sodium, that kind of thing, right? And right. so it's shifting that. I think that nutrition science is so new in, you know, in in comparison to others that oftentimes we don't really know what's right until we know what's right. Right. So it's, it's taking a while, but in that vein, I'm just really curious. So you said just kind of like to determine your own unique sodium needs, it takes some tinkering. Should people be having different sodium levels on performance days are like things like I was in Mexico for a fitness retreat last week and I drank so much water and barely peed. Like I was probably having like four right. liters of water a day and not peeing at all. And I'm like, what is going on with me? Like, should we be accounting for climate changes or performance activities? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Y- yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it. it that's where it, it one, there's no an outfit out there now that is they do like a skin patch and and it will kind of calculate. Maybe 100%. how much you've sodium you've lost. And it it I I I was super skeptical at first and I'm blanking on the name of it, but I have some friends that I trust and they're like, this thing helps me. Like it helps me kind of zero in on, on uh what's going on because the, the theory there is like if you have your height and your weight and then you've got a patch that is a known size and you put it on, then you can calculate how how much the rest of your surface area is. So if you know how much, you know salt you, you lost through this patch, then you can kind of calculate like, like full body sodium loss. And there's, there's some good science behind that. But that said, we, we also know some kind of benchmarks or, or brackets and studies looking at all cause mortati- mortality, morbidity, mortality seems to put a, a, a there's kind of a U shaped curve where very low sodium intake is associated with more death and disease. And then when you get down to about five grams of sodium per day, it, it's kind of the low ebb. And then you, you, what's interesting is as you start getting higher sodium intakes, you do see increased morbidity and mortality. But you have to get out to like eight to 10 grams of sodium per day in a wow. general population to be as sick as what you are at two grams per day. Mm-hmm. So it's more dangerous to be too low than too high. But so like five grams is kind of a pretty good place to start, assuming that folks are not insulin resistant, they're they're not hypertensive, hypertensive probably shouldn't supplement sodium all that much, but they should diet, modify diet and exercise so that they're not insulin resistant. Absolutely. and then we're then, then we're back to the spot where you you are yes. actually going to need it. but but then what's interesting, even looking at American Council of Sports Medicine guidelines for people exercising in hot, humid environments for people who are high motor output, ACSM guidelines are seven to 10 grams of sodium per day. And this okay. is assuming a high carb diet, you know, all these other things that really insulin levels facilitate the retention of sodium. When insulin goes up in response, primarily to carbohydrates, uh, we also upregulate a hormone called aldosterone and other hormones, but the aldosterone is probably the primary one and it causes us to retain more sodium. So a higher carbohydrate diet, tends to facilitate the retention of sodium lower carb diets tend to reduce the retention of sodium so any given person let's say your needs for sodium are you run a certain mileage every day and it's a certain heat and humidity and you figure out that you need seven grams of sodium per day let's say then you tinker with a ketogenic diet it may double your sodium needs just going from like uh 40% carbohydrate diet to a 10% carbohydrate diet. So that's a, a huge bit of, of variability there. Humidity can double, uh, uh, effective electrolyte needs temperature, you know, related to that altitude is one that folks miss. And this is where, uh, people get in trouble in the winter because when we're cold, our thirst mechanisms tend to get down regulated. And I, I'm not sure about the evolutionary biology on that, but I think it's, if you're already cold i, I think biology kind of has this sense that most of the liquids in the environment we would experience would be cold so you don't really want to drink a, a lot of fluid so the the um, because it would it would make you colder what's interesting is is cold weather and altitude makes you less thirsty but it also dramatically increases hydration needs so that's a, a sneaky spot there that that people can get into a lot of trouble um by not properly uh dealing with their hydration and their electrolyte status and when you really dig into the the physiology of say altitude sickness you notice that oh it it like adequate sodium levels are a huge piece of fixing that. Like there's, when you look at the field medicine around that stuff, it's usually some sort of a, a saline solution or like chicken bouillon or or something like that to to really give people a significant bolus of sodium because it improves fluid volume and that will further improve like cardiac output because we want each beat of the heart to be efficient and we don't want it like running like a, a hummingbird or something like that. So, yeah. And I know, again, that was like all over the place, but uh, <laughs> I it, <love> yes, it. <laughs> uh, temperature, humidity, size of the the individual tends to be a little bit different male to female males tend to not sweat as efficiently as females do. So Ooh. women tend to have more of a, a misty type type of, of uh sweat production and there's some thought around that developing fetuses are are pretty temperature sensitive so women need a little mm. bit more finely tuned uh, evaporative cooling than men do but men tend to just produce these big gross drops of sweat which they cool you but they're actually not very efficient but what we find is that from one person to another and again it, it tends to be more men tend to be more the what we call super sweaters although some women uh, can be in this case they can double the amount of of fluid lost and electrolytes lost relative to a person who who is a, a normal sweater. so there there is this really remarkable spread that people can can experience. like size, you know, six foot four person versus a five foot two person that that's going to dramatically change things. Temperature, humidity, basic genetics, like whether you're a super sweater or not. Those things are huge, and, and then dietary status. Do you eat a fairly carbohydrate-rich diet? Do you eat a lower carb diet? And and all of those things end up factoring into the the total electrolyte need, and that can vary significantly from day to day. Like when I lived, uh, I lived for two years in Texas. Th- there was never virtually a day that I wasn't hot and humid, and like yeah. my my le- now I live in in Montana. And it's so much cooler, so much drier. My electrolyte needs are like half of what they were on an average day in Texas. Like it, it, it's just stunning how much different it is. And I'll go occasionally to Costa Rica once a year for a jujitsu camp. And it's probably like when you did your, your fitness thing in, in Mexico, like I drink <laughs> electrolyte water constantly and, and I barely pee. Like I, yeah. I like a three hour session I will hammer, but it's, 95 degrees, 95% humidity. I'm wearing a jujitsu gi, and it's insane the amount of water and electrolyte loss that I have under those circumstances. Yeah.
0: I feel like I must not be the norm because I honestly do feel like I'm a super sweater.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> Holy, it's just, it just gushes out of me. So, how do people know, though, like how much to take or when they should? So, you gave us kind of like a baseline, but like for the we've talked about performance, how do you know that you're running low in electrolytes? Like what happens to your body when when you are low? Because I'm sure that's happening to a lot of people. They just don't feel well, yeah, and they're not checking their electrolytes, and they're probably just like super sluggish, which is happening to me. Like the cramping thing was. I'm so glad I just happened to stumble upon the ultra video that Nick Bear shot because if that didn't happen i had no cramps like yeah. it was hot out i was sweating a lot i couldn't believe because up to that point like i just kind of like went for the marathon you know i didn't really train, <laughs> train train for it uh but i had no cramps and then the next day i had no muscle soreness and i'm like is this like what happened is it that good is taking sodium in this case that that beneficial
1: right it it it's uh, it, it's kind of crazy The timing, so let's see how to to tackle this. The symptoms of low electrolyte status uh, start subtly. And usually it's kind of some lethargy, brain fog, fatigue. And the bugger with that is, okay, so I start feeling not energetic. I start kind of winding down. And and let's say you're just doing computer work or something. Like that could Mm -hmm. creep up on you for a long time where you're like, oh, I really feel like shit and I'm just kind of like, you know, Degrading, but you don't notice it as much. If you're doing physical activity, you, like if you're playing soccer or something, you're like, "I'm just not making it to the ball. Like my timing is off, and 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 whatnot." You start noticing it more in those performance scenarios. But the first things that go is kind of like top of mind, like getting names, information, like really quick mental firing because our nerve impulses are generated by sodium, you know, the the action potential of sodium potassium pumps, you know? So you start noticing that, that, that like kind of when, when you're really kicking on all cylinders, that's gone. And then that fine motor skill, and that's kind of a tough one to, to notice, like maybe tennis or ping pong or, or something like you would really notice that stuff right. degrading. But like, if you're, if you're like a, 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 football linemen or something like that, or rugby, like you might not notice the fine motor skills quite as, as immediate, but cognitive fatigue, you know, kind of, kind of common unhinged mentally, not as good a fine motor skill. And then it starts shifting into elevated heart rate. So, so decreased ability to produce power, basically, you know, whether it's aerobic or anaerobic power. And then it just starts shifting forward worse and worse till you get to the point of potentially cramping. Although not everybody is as prone to cramping as, as ever, you know, uh, th- there is some individual spectrum on that. And then eventually it's, it's you know, like heat exhaustion and inability to maintain body temperature is kind of like the, the end stage of that. And the really fascinating and kind of cool thing about being on point with electrolytes, and, and this is kind of how I, I was set straight on this, I was arguing with my coaches. I I get it. I I think I get enough salt, and they looked at what I was doing, and they're like, "No, you you don't." They said, "Do you have any pickle juice at home?" I'm like, "Yes." They said, "Get like a six to eight ounce glass, drink some pickle juice, then go do your workout." It was literally the best workout I had had in like ten years. Really believe it because it's five minutes you start feeling better from electrolytes. Ten minutes later. It, it's fully integrated into your system. And, you know, like I take creatine every day because I know it's good for me. It, like the, the studies are just unequivocal. Uh, it, it's neuroprotective. It, it protects the vascular endothelium. So it protects you from like heart attack, stroke. It maybe has anti-cancer properties. But if I forget to take it, I don't feel any different. Like I'm one of these people right. that doesn't doesn't really respond better with like working out. But but in, in theory, it's this thing that that is helpful, and so I take it. Electrolytes are not that story. Like if you are feeling like garbage because you're low electrolytes, low sodium, you swig some pickle juice. You you know you get a little bit of of electrolyte replenishment. Five minutes later, you're like. You're dancing an Irish jig, you know. You feel really good, and it's not. It is not a subtle thing. So there's this really nice feedback loop with it, where if you are underpowered in electrolytes and you address that, you feel better immediately. And we are working internally at Element to try to figure out uh, a good algorithm to help people better understand what what their needs are, but it is so variable from person to person, day to day that. What what we're leaning into is more of a qualitative thing, like a self assessment, like fine motor skill, name recollection, you know, a kind of high level cognitive functioning, all the way out to to cramping potentially, and and then being able to backfill that and and address the the electrolyte needs. But because of that, so and people maybe like is there really that much variability person to person? With caffeine, if we look at the average half-life of caffeine, like how long it takes, if we drink 100 milligrams of caffeine, how long does it take until there's only 50 milligrams of caffeine in our, our system as the half-life? The population average for folks is eight hours, but there are some people who are fast metabolizers of caffeine and they will clear it in four hours. And there are some people that are slow metabolizers of caffeine and it's 36 hours. So when people, so a cup of coffee is a shockingly different experience for the mm-hmm. 36 hour person. Literally when they say, if I have a cup of coffee today, I still can't sleep tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They're, they are not kidding. And then there are other people that will have a double espresso with dinner and they go right to bed because their body has, they're like Wolverine. They just plowed right through it. <laughs> There's not quite as much genetic variation in electrolyte needs. it it it, as as a comparison, but there's all these um lifestyle factors. How hot is it? What's your work output? How large or small are you as an individual? Are you a super sweater or not? So there is a lot of variability on it. But the again, the kind of cool thing is if you just have access to some sort of electrolyte replenishment and you start paying attention to how you feel, you can you can kind of self medicate, self-dose on that and and stay in a pretty good spot.
0: So we know like the the shorter term consequences you're talking about, like decline cognitive function and performance. What happens if someone is living in a state and has been for a long time where they're woefully under their electrolyte consumption? Like, does that have long term health consequences? Is it something that can be repaired with a jar of pickle juice? Like... Can you can you touch on that? First? Yeah,
1: you know, one of the kind of gnarly consequences uh, which I it affects everybody but I think again maybe affects women even more, one of our primary repositories of sodium in our our body long term is uh, our skeletal structure, our bones. And under kind of evolutionary pressure or like a hunter gatherer level of activity and living, we could see where uh, we would store some sodium and calcium in our bones today. And then maybe tomorrow we're short on it. And so we pull a little bit out. But overall, the, the net aggregate is we're, we're kind of in a homeostatic spot where everything is is kind of normalized. But if somebody is chronically sodium deficient, they will pull it chronically out of the skeletal structure, out of the bones. And that will also pull calcium out of the bones. And so there's this really interesting linkage between osteoporosis, osteopenia, and inadequate sodium intake. So, you, you know, over the long haul, it's really important to properly address uh, sodium intake so that, you, you know, so that we're avoiding that that side of things. Uh, additionally, inadequate sodium is a, a really significant stressor because one of the adaptive mechanisms that the body will employ to try to retain more sodium we will elevate cortisol levels. We will elevate epinephrine or or adrenaline. We'll elevate other stress hormones because these stress hormones cause the body via different mechanisms to retain sodium. So you might notice that you have serious problems falling asleep. You don't recover from exercise. Your heart rate variability stinks because you never really get into deep restorative, uh, uh, restful sleep. And so this is one of these really crazy things that when people get on point with their electrolytes and again, like just pickle juice or, you know, whatever they'll they'll, they've been tracking heart rate variability for like a couple of years. And they're at Mm -hmm. this, you know, it's not that good. It's okay. They do a shot of pickle juice and then they, they wake up and they're like, I think I was roofied last night. (laughs) I I can't believe what happened and their heart rate variability, you know, improves by, by like 10 or 15%. And then it, it, if they, keep doing that, if they keep addressing the sodium needs, the electrolyte needs, then they notice that their heart rate variability improves, their work capacity improves, their ability to recover improves. So, you know, there's uh, both sides of this coin. If we're under fueled in electrolytes, we're going to have problems ranging potentially from, from like bone mineral density loss that is really bad on up to like people don't like the term adrenal fatigue. It, 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 the more scientific term is HPTA axis dysregulation, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis dysregulation. And it's all the same stuff. Like it, it's just doctors getting really nitpicky because you don't actually run out of cortisol. And it's like, okay, whatever. But, the, but the, what's interesting is the, the old kind of naturopathic approach to dealing with adrenal fatigue. The first thing you did in the morning was do about a gram of sodium. It, you know, you do like a uh, sea salt in, in the morning mm-hmm. because it's helping to address that low sodium status and it takes some of the stress off the adrenals and then everything kind of, kind of calms down. So being on point, I mean, the, if people are generally pretty familiar with like a female athlete triad at this point, you know, they start getting amenorrhea and, you know, different problems inadequate sodium intake is right up there. Like I, I, I see so many people there. And particularly if you're really trying to run the razor's edge of performance, like mm-hmm. I, I worked with a, a young woman who's an Olympic rower. And so it's a weight class sport. So we have to really watch her her food intake without blowing her up, without creating a, an eating disorder and and all these other things. And she was just always on the razor's edge of overtraining. And what was fascinating with with her when we really addressed sodium intake, it was easier for her to maintain weight because her body wasn't under the same degree of stress. So she actually got leaner, which we wanted because we want that power to weight ratio to, to be better. It seemed like her carbohydrate cravings were much much diminished when we we addressed the sodium intake needs and, and whatnot like just everything got easier and it was kind it was super counterintuitive and like uh the usual thought for weight class athletes is that you want to limit sodium because sodium causes water retention and that but and there is some truth to that but the the reality was that that she was retaining sodium anyway because of the stress she was under and when we properly fueled her with sodium significant part of that stress went away like the cortisol levels probably decreased and and some other hormonal elements ended up normalizing and then it was easier to run her leaner and and have good performance and good recovery and whatnot and she did really really remarkably well uh couple of years ago in her her competitive you know cycle so that that's a good example of when we get on point with this stuff like how beneficial it is and then when we see somebody it, it, I, i'm probably a good example of the person who was underfueled on electrolytes for ages and uh kind of some adrenal type issues a little bit of thyroid type issues and then when i properly addressed that all of it just went away and and it was it was not a subtle effect you know it was like a, a light switch getting flipped
0: this is something now I'm going to pay attention to with running because I usually run about like 10 kilometers every day and my run times can vary significantly, you know, like obviously I do track things like my HRV, my heart rate variability and stuff. And I've been running for a long time, but I'm like, well, how come some days I hit these PRs out of nowhere? Mm -hmm. And then other days I'm just, you know, behind the eight ball, but obviously I just need to pay more attention to sodium. And I think that, what, what you're talking about is one of our philosophies. Obviously we're talking about electrolytes in this case, but nutrition is so important. And I think having chronometer with accurate data and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. goes so far because there's so much that I do believe can be fixed with, with, with knowledge, really, you know, like I, I've talked about this a fair bit, but I was deficient in magnesium for a really long time and I was getting muscle twitches. Like if Mm, I would go out mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, exacerbate a muscle, like the next day it would just be like constantly firing. And I went through so many different tests and that kind of thing. And, and it took months for them to figure out that it was just really not having enough magnesium was causing these issues. And I'm like, I would have saved myself. Like, I mean, healthcare in Canada is, is free. So I'm really lucky that way. But if I had been living in the States and paying for healthcare and then like, you know, I had like ECGs, like I was seeing neurologists Mm -hmm. and all that happened is I needed to have more magnesium. Like that would be really hard. So I feel because I've benefited not just in like a body composition way, but also from that by tracking with chronometer, I just feel like it's such an easy solution that people should should look into. But I'm definitely going to pay way more attention now to uh, my electrolytes. Yeah, <laughs> this, yeah, This is good for me. So are there a couple populations that need it more in terms of people that are dieting more, because you did mention the keto gains community. We have a mm-hmm. ton of people that follow a ketogenic diet. I've actually gotten to speak with the founders of keto gains and they're so passionate and mm-hmm. really lovely. Why do people on a ketogenic diet need more? Do they need more?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They de- they definitely need more electrolytes in general, sodium in particular. And it's that uh, insulin axis piece again, where a ketogenic diet is is quite low in carbohydrate, moderate in protein. We get a little bit of an insulin action off of protein, but not not si- super significant. And when insulin levels drop, there, there's this uh, process called the diuresis of fasting, where we lose sodium and we lose water with either fasting outright or low carbohydrate diets. And so the kind of the lower the insulin levels go generally the higher the, the individual need for, for electrolytes and, and sodium specifically will be. So that's where like any given individual, let's say I'm eating 200 grams of carbohydrate a day and my sodium needs based off of activity and, and temperature and all that is like five grams per day. If I go to 50 grams of carbs per day and everything else remains the same, my sodium intake is probably going to double. Like maybe maybe not exactly, but it's going to be significantly greater. And this is also where even if somebody, if somebody has been eating kind of a standard Westernized diet, they're almost guaranteed to get a ton of sodium as part of that because of refined foods. And then this is where it gets a little bit weird for people to wrap their head around. You go paleo, you go vegan, you go low carb, whatever. I guarantee you your glycemic load decreases. If you if you shift from donuts and pop tarts to like quinoa and brown rice, your glycemic load is going to decrease. And when that glycemic load decreases, your insulin load gre- decreases. So what what's important to to understand with that is even a high carb but whole food diet is going to be a lower glycemic load than what most people experience with a processed food diet. So your tendency to retain sodium will drop, and oh, by the way, all of the sodium you were eating is gone. Unless you, you, you know, it it is interesting, you know, like uh, traditional Japanese foods like uh, miso and and soy sauce. Um, in Italy, things like uh, uh, pickled. You know, peppers and olives and things like that. Like most of these, these traditional cultures have these very salty condiment foods, and they're a mainstay. You never see a properly appointed like Greek meal without these like super salty, you know, kind of side condiments with with it. And so, it's an important piece. And again, there is vast individual like my needs versus your needs may be remarkably different, but our, our needs will definitely increase if we, for electrolytes, if we decrease calories, carbohydrate or, or, you know, like the, the combination of both. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This is amazing. I feel like I've learned so much. Um, do you have any points just, if someone's just starting, do you just recommend they go get some supplements? Like where, where do people even begin on this journey? Should people be tracking first to get get a baseline or do
1: (laughs) they really, they really should. And, and because you all have like a, a a free version of the app and everything, like why Mm -hmm. not give that a shot and just do it for three or four days to, to lay down a baseline. If they're unwilling to, take a free app and a little bit of time to do it, then it, it, at least back of the envelope, have some idea about what what you are taking in. And I guess a, a way that you could, if somebody is like, I was super lazy with this, or it, it, um, I was super resistant on this. You know, it's like, I'm a biochemist. I understand this stuff, you know? And it's like, well, you don't know everything. You know, the, you don't know what you don't know. At a minimum, timing some electrolytes, Uh, particularly, you know, sodium rich electrolytes around training, like pre during and after Mm -hmm. it'll kind of rock your world because you're, you're like, Oh, this is how I could have performed. Oh, this is how I could have recovered. Oh my goodness. This is how I could have slept, you know? And so I think it, it, again, you know, like the pickle juice thing is a really accessible piece, Mm -hmm. you know, and like four to six ounces of pickle juice, just shoot that down, at element we have a drink element.com forward slash homebrew and people can still do our homebrew downloadable guide like we tell you how to make the formula yourself if you if you don't want to buy it from us you know our our main deal is um what we've noticed is that if people do the homebrew they feel shockingly better and then they give element a try and they're like oh this tastes really good and it's super convenient like there's no magic to it other than that it just tastes good and it, it it's convenient but if we just get people motoring in a direction where they really recognize oh yeah these electrolytes are critically important and i didn't have enough and now i'm getting you know i'm moving into getting adequate levels then they they just pay more attention to it and they're they're willing to to you know throw out some some money for that stuff but there's lots of freebie things you know again like pickle juice or or like that homebrew. you can make it for like pennies a, a serving if you you Regular salt, some potassium chloride in the form of no salt. Usually they, they sell it in the same section that you find, you know, regular salt in the supermarket. Get some magnesium citrate, which is super inexpensive. Some bottled lemon juice, stevia packets. And we tell you how to mix all the stuff up and you just go to town on it. But if people will address that, again, particularly pre-post uh, training. And a lot of folks, uh, if they have problems sleeping... Like doing just a little bit of, of sodium of 500 milligrams to a, a thousand milligrams, uh, which could be a quarter teaspoon to a half a teaspoon, just a tiny bit of water, like, like just enough to swizzle it down and, and shoot it down before bed. If you have problems waking up in, in the middle of the night, in particular, if you, if you get up to pee then it will really help with that. But this is one of these, I, I hate the term biohacking, but it, it it's kind of a, a Do it Do you? Oh, just, it's just detested. <laughs> I, I, uh, there aren't really hacks. There's like understanding biology and then there's trade-offs, you know? Right. The, the hack thing kind of suggests like a shortcut. And, uh, mm-hmm. just, yeah, yeah. It, and there's really not. But this one, if there is a biohack, this one's close to it. And uh, that's one of these things that like, if you've had problems sleeping, if you're a shift worker, new parent, hard training athlete, and, and or like male or female, if you, you find that you wake up in the middle of the night to pee, that sodium will down regulate antidiuretic hormone. So you don't tend to pee the same volume It'll kind of get you through the night. People notice this when they get out and they they do, they they get their drink on and they're like, oh, if I eat a lot of really salty food with it, like I don't wake up in the middle of the night to pee. It's kind of the same, same mechanism there. So uh, uh, that, that's kind of a, those are interesting spots, you know, pre post-workout before bed that I think that folks will get a disproportionate sense of benefit from it. And so then, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I, re- I really do notice that my sleep is better when I do this like quarter teaspoon of, of sodium and just a tiny scant bit of water. You don't lot of, want a lot of water because you don't want the, the fluid volume and all that. But you also don't want to just eat a pure sodium on mucous membranes is a carcinogen. So you don't necessarily want to just be like eating raw sodium, you know, and irritating your, your mucous membranes. So, yeah. I didn't,
0: I didn't know that when I was counting back salt.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I wouldn't worry too much. Like it, it, it's not like it's asbestos or something, but yeah. over chronic exposure over years could be a, could be a not great thing, but in liquid form, um, no, no problem with that. Yeah.
0: so two more questions before we wrap yeah. up because your time is precious one should someone always be adding something like element to their water all the time or should you be like do you <sighs> think that people should be drinking pure because i honestly love adding stuff to my water yeah. i just like the taste can i be overdoing that though
1: you know what so uh i don't know maybe i can share this with you after after we we get offline but there's a a paper it's called current biology evolution of water consumption in humans and what this thing suggests i so and I'm, I'm working on a big blog post about this i don't know that people need electrolyte water all the time the thing is so, so like i'm sipping on a, a thing of tea but the the tea i actually have some electrolytes in it like i put the raspberry tea in it and it it's it, it's black tea but with raspberry uh, uh, element and it tastes absolutely amazing but it sounds amazing we are super habituated to drinking a lot of fluid like we'll have our cup of coffee we'll have our tea we'll have this we'll have that and so i from an evolutionary biology perspective i think we chronically overconsume liquids which further increases our need for sodium and and electrolytes interestingly so This paper makes the case that humans should be looked at more like a camel than, than like this really water guzzling organism. Like we are remarkably good at maintaining work output, electrolyte status and, and fluid balance under really high heat, high work environment. But the thing that screws it up is consuming water absent electrolytes. And that that's this kind of weird thing. Like one is almost better off it. it like if you're it, it, and clearly there's a limit to this, but you can get in more trouble quicker. It, it, let's say you're in a, uh, uh, you're doing, you're a roofer. Like you're, you're doing roofing and you're in Northern California. It's a, you know, 105 degrees and uh 40 degrees uh, Celsius out there. And it's blistering hot and you're getting the reflected heat off the roof and the whole, the whole ball of wax, one, you should probably structure your work so that you can, you, you know, work early, take a break yes. during the middle of the day, work late, like, you, you know, strategies like that, which is exactly what hunter gatherers did and do. They don't typically subject themselves to the absolute worst heat of the day, interestingly. But if you couldn't address that, let's say you just had to get some stuff done. You're in more danger drinking plain water. Than drinking no water at all. Now there's a limit to this. You're you're eventually going to so deplete your fluid volume that your cardiac out like your heart rate is 150 beats a minute to just like stand there and stuff like that. So there's a limit to that. But it's a weird deal where and again, of course, it would be self-serving for the guy hawking electrolytes to say yes, every cup of beverage, you know, (laughs) put the chocolate (laughs) salt in your coffee and put the raspberry one in your tea and and on and on. But there's an interesting balance there where I think people, myself included, I'm very habituated to drinking some amount of fluid do- throughout the day. I just enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. um, when it's cold weather, that cup of warm coffee is just like amazing and, and, and all that, but you can and will your electrolytes. And so mm-hmm. you need to be aware of that and address that. So it's kind of one of two things like you, um, and we do get electrolytes from our food overall. So let's say you want to drink a big mug of coffee and you're going to have, you know, for lunch, you're planning out your lunch. Maybe you do like some uh, salami and cheese as kind of a side deal and like an ounce of salami is 500 milligrams of sodium. So so long as you pepper in the sodium somewhere else, you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing your low-carb, low sodium because sodium's bad and you're pounding liquids, like you're going to be a disaster. That's, that's going to be a really difficult thing to, to deal with. And, uh, again, I know that was a long, you know, meandering answer, but I'm working on a blog post that kind of um, uh, makes the case that we're probably drinking too many fluids in general, which sounds crazy. Like it, it absolutely sounds mm-hmm. like madness, but I think the physiology and the evolutionary biology is really sound on that. So I'll, I'll, I'll ping that to you and I'll, I'll shoot this, a copy of this paper to you if you want to include with the show notes, just so that people could, could take a look at that. Um, the main takeaway being that if you are consuming a lot of liquids throughout the day, um, you need to st- be strategic about where you're going to add in the other electrolytes in particular sodium. And again, that can come from, from food, you know, maybe it's like salted nuts or something like that. But, but again, this is where you want to document what you're doing so that you you know that your quarter cup of almonds actually provided the 300 milligrams of sodium that you wanted and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So final question is just about timing. You mentioned like within five minutes of consuming pickle juice, you were just Superman. When should people be for performance? We'll say like, when should I be drinking this?
1: Probably about 20 minutes before an event. It is when you start, start ramping up on it. It, uh, That way it's, it's fully. And there's a little bit of a hack with this too, particularly if you're in like a, a hot environment. So, even consuming um, electrolytes in a beverage, you can, it, you can and will increase urine output. And, and so let's say you're getting ready for a long run and you don't want to pee during, during the run. But what's interesting is that when you start exercising, that downregulates antidiuretic hormone. And it, it's kind of an interesting thing. You have to play with this and get the timing right. But let's say you're in a hot environment and you need electrolytes and you wouldn't mind having a little extra fluid on on your person to Mm -hmm. to get through this whole thing. You shoot the liquid down and then maybe 10, 15 minutes later, you start doing a light warm up and then you really start getting into your say like your run proper. What you end up doing is kind of like you'll notice that you kind of feel like you're maybe retaining a little water like your hands or maybe a little fluid filled and stuff like that. It's because you've got more water on board than really what you exactly need. And we've downregulated antidiuretic hormone because we started exercising, but that buys you a little bit of buffer now. Like you can now sweat right. that stuff out and and lose it via sweat. You have to play with that. Like it, it it can be problematic for some people. Like they can they can not feel good from it because you literally you kind of like blow it up like a tick for a while and and it doesn't feel great, but that. 10 to 15 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes before physical activity, you start putting it in. And so like I will do, I have a regular size water bottle, but if I do a, my jujitsu class, yeah, I'll I'll do, you know, a, a liter bottle. I've got one stick pack in there, which is a gram of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. And I'll do, I'll just do a couple of sips of that at the beginning of our main class, which is drilling and it's active, but it's not super active. And then we have live rolling where we're doing like five or 10 minute rounds, change partners. And it's really demanding after that. And maybe 10 minute, like the, as we're wrapping up the main class and we're 10 minutes out, I'll drink half of that one liter thing before starting to roll. And then maybe 20 to 30 minutes into the rolling, I will do Half of my half, and then I save the final, you know, quarter for when I'm done, and I actually okay. top things off with that. So I've got a little bit going out the door to help on the recovery side. And if it's really, if it's a really frisky day or a hotter day than normal, I might just go fill up another one and then do a another full stick pack. But usually that that gets me through. And typically I've had like one as part of my tea or coffee in the morning, or I make sure that I've got a really salty side food. Like if I just want coffee and I don't want to do like the chocolate salt in it or something that uh, some bacon or sausage and I make sure it's got about a gram of sodium in it. And so I'll do one first thing in, you know, early in the day, one as part of my Perry workout deal. And then usually one Somewhere within an hour after having done jujitsu, I, I will do another one because I just kind of feel like I I need that, and and this is kind of an interesting aside. If I'm still feeling kind of cognitively beat down after a workout, like I'm kind of lethargic, I just keep consuming sodium until I I feel normal. And it sounds crazy, but I'll I'll do no, another element. I'll do some pickled juice. I'll I'll go do. Uh, some salami or something, but I, I, it is so weird and it, it's so frustrating because there were so many years, so many workouts so I'd be done. And I, I, I was like cognitively just cooked, you know, I, I, I was worthless the rest of the day. And now I can kind of like bring myself back to, Absolutely. to normalcy by getting adequate sodium intake. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's incredible. I think that this podcast interview is going to change my life.
1: Awesome. awesome. Yeah,
0: I, I honestly... I Hopefully hope for
1: the better, so... <laughs>
0: absolutely. This is going to be something I'm really going to pay attention to. And I hope that anyone that's listening, because we uh, are going to be sending this out to all of our email subscribers, I hope that other people get value too. So we can find you in our cupboards. Where else can we find you? Tell us about your social media handles, website,
1: books. Oh man, I, I have a Substack, RobWolf substack.com and that's kind of the main place i have a instagram is at dos rob wolf um i'm rob wolf on twitter i don't do a ton of social media like it's just Mm -hmm. gotten so toxic at this point like Mm -hmm. i'm kind of broadcast only there and then if people want to hang out with me like i'm over on my substack it's a free substack but i i just found that the the process of asking for an email like mm-hmm. I've had no assholes over there so far. Like everybody's <laughs> very kind, very, you know, they'll, they'll push back on things that I throw out there, but they're just mm-hmm. like kind and thoughtful about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like regular social media is just like, ugh, I, I, can't really stand it. So I do broadcast on, on some of these other spots, but I don't really used to, I spent three or four hours a day answering questions on social media because I just looked at it as my job mm-hmm. and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But when everybody lost their collective minds, so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm over out, I'm so, out. Yeah.
0: Where can people buy element? Because I want everyone to, to feel great. So it,
1: it's uh Amazon, Canada, uh, Amazon us it, like, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, it's still a little bit difficult to get. You can get it and then uh, drinkelement.com is the main website and we have a phenomenal blog too like if people are interested in the science like we've done a ton of in-depth uh, uh, writing on on this stuff and and continue to develop more. So drinkelement.com is a good good spot if you want to order it and then definitely for for like deeper dives into you know, why sodium is important. Like everything that we've talked about, like we actually have scientific citations to be able to kind of back that up.
0: Love science. So yeah. much. We love yeah. science. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Rob. I really appreciate it. You've been a wonderful guest and I am definitely more educated now.
1: Awesome. Ton of fun. Thank you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.